Nuclear. Now is it Crick or Creek? Coyote or Coyote? Sometimes I say library. Welcome to You're Saying It Wrong. I'm Fletcher Powell, and each episode we turn to the people who literally wrote the book on this, sister and brother team Kathy and Ross Petrus, and we'll dive into what we get wrong and sometimes what we get right when we try to speak this weird German language. It's Deutsch Part 2! That means it's German Part 2, I think. Uh, I'm not actually sure. I don't know how to say part in German, and I might have gotten some other parts of that wrong anyway. But the point is, uh, we're back with German. Obviously, one episode certainly isn't enough to talk about an entire language, and neither is two episodes, but we figured we'd give it another shot anyway. And I have to be brutally honest with myself and with you this time around. Uh, I feel like it's been quite a while since you guys have really stumped me with a phrase or with a word. And... What we're going to talk about, at least to begin with today, is the sort of word that if I were reading it myself just quietly in, you know, in a book or in a, a newspaper article, I would sort of gloss over it and I would kind of pretend to myself that I knew what it meant. And if I were talking to a person uh, and this word came up somehow, I would also probably kind of pretend I knew what it meant and maybe try to just change the conversation a little bit so I didn't have to deal with it. But the reality is I don't really know what it means, even though I've seen it plenty of times, and uh, I don't know how to say it. So I'm just going to read the sentence and say it sort of as an English person, and then you guys can tell me why we're talking about this today and what it, what, how you really say it and what it really means. The sentence is, he will reportedly seek to explain the agency's failure to defend the ambassador to Ukraine as an act of real politic. And real politic, R-E-A-L-P-O-L-I-T-I-K. Uh, I could make something up and say that it's something like rail politique, but I have no idea. And even more honestly, I didn't even know this was German. So what is this and why are we talking about this today? Okay, first of all, you're actually fairly correct with it. Um, and it's a very important word nowadays because it's, it's used frequently when we're discussing diplomacy or foreign policy, probably because of uh, Henry Kissinger, which again gives us a feel for the uh, German background, it, it entered into the forefront. But it's actually a very old word. It came, I think, about, when did it come around, Kathy? In the 1840s, I think? Um, it was in the mid-1800s. Um, Ludwig August von Rochan, <laughs> to, to butcher his poor name, uh, came up with it as a word in a theory. This is the word I'm going to jump in and just say, it sounds like it means real politics, doesn't it? Like true politics. Yeah, absolutely, I mean, yeah. And most German words, we always say, it's right there in it. So you think real politics versus fake politics, but it actually doesn't mean real politics per se. It means politics based on practical objectives rather than ideal objectives. Although it's interesting, though, two things I want to chuck in here right now. First of all, the, this word, I, I used to be uh, work in the State Department, and this word is like all over the State Department. So I heard it like, I think from, you know, barely weaned from my mom. But um, the first thing is actually, though, interestingly enough, the origins are actually not so pragmatic. They're very idealistic. Ro von, Ro von Rochau, or I can't pronounce his name. <laughs> um, we're, gonna, we're mangling German here. Right? Any German speakers, please forgive us. But he had coined the term basically as a uh, coming out of the Enlightenment. 
he felt that um, politics had to like look at the had to go for a pragmatic goal of trying to bring about enlightenment virtues in a world that unfortunately had a lot of uh, people against it. So he said basically he was trying to promote enlightenment views via pragmatic uh, politics. What ended up happening was, as is often the case, the word took a more negative turn and it became basically just basic pragmatics. Down and dirty kind of, yeah. You don't care about the morality, you care about the, the end goal of the politics. And with Kissinger, for example, it took a very pejorative term when at the first or one of the one of the times the U.S. Um, abandoned the Kurds. Basically, the U.S. was supporting the Kurds, then decided the Kurds were no longer useful, and it and they cut them off. And Kissinger was accused of practicing uh, very real, real politics in that case. Oh, that's right. We never did say how it's pronounced. I just realized. Well, Kath, you want to give go at it? Real politic. It's sort of like real politic, but a real politic. It's the emphasis I is on the tick. But I, I always just said real politic was what we said in the State Department. I don't know if that's any, if that's, if that's, uh, I think that's technically it. If that's we should know this. But that's how we more, more, <laughs> more down and dirtily. <laughs> so it's sort of favoring pragmatics over ideals in, in your foreign policy and that, and that sort of thing. Exactly. When- well, one, one way to put it also, and I think it was Ross who actually defined it this way, and I think he's right, it's politics based on things as they are. Not on hopes. It's like you 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 get, you eschew the platonic ideal. You go, this is how things are. Let's do it this way then, based on this, as opposed to based on a wonderful pie in the sky, you know, glittering city on a hill. Right, and I think Ludwig von Rolkow would have liked it that way. I think what has happened though, is it has come to also a lot of times, not always, and not necessarily correctly, but it has taken on a coercive, a Machiavellian, a moral tone to it. It's, I don't care about anything regarding morals. I care about the end result. That isn't mm-hmm. necessarily, that wasn't what Ron Rokow wanted, and that isn't necessarily the case, but it's usually used now to mean someone who goes for the, um, the goal rather Damn than the... Damn the torpedoes, um, full speed ahead. One thing that fascinates us is we've got curious, so we did a um, just a, a quick Google search of the word uh, realpolitik with President Trump. We found out that it's typical of journalism nowadays. A, he is not capable of pre- pre- practicing realpolitik, Washington Post. B, two, he is only capable of crude realpolitik, the Wall Street Journal, or he is great at classic realpolitik, the Wall Street Journal. So there you have it. So that either indicates that people aren't really sure exactly what Trump's foreign policy approach is, or people don't really understand what real politic is supposed to mean. Or probably both. <laughs> that, right. Yes, that is probably the, the, the correct answer. <laughs> okay, can I now, uh, moving on a little bit, can I throw out something? I, want, I told Kath I had this question. I was looking up um, German words, and I looked up, and there was an interesting 2006, I think, National Spelling Bee. In which case, um, the first runner-up was stumped spelling Velchmertz because she was Canadian, actually. And the mistake she made was she put a, a, v, a V rather than a W for Velchmertz. The winner got this German word, this German-English word uh, correct. And um, I'm curious if you guys know it or can spell it. I wish the girl is like, I think she was uh, like 10 or 15 or something. And she got this word. I don't think I would have gotten it. I'd doubt you guys would have, but I'm waiting. Okay, the word is Ersprache. 
What? <laughs> okay, the word is Fletcher, do you hear it? Urspraka. Can you say it slowly? Could you repeat the word as they say in the spelling bee? <laughs> okay, the word is Urspraka. I would say E R S P A C H A. I'm sorry, you are now the first runner up. Fletcher? <laughs> Ding. Um, I want to say U R S P R A C A G. Wow! Fletcher wins the spelling bee now. <laughs> yeah, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Very we'll send good. send you your plaque. <laughs> Honestly, I'm stunned that I got that right, but but I'll take it. Do either of you know the word, what it means? No, no idea. No, um, may, no I'm not even going to pretend I know. Well, go I ahead. keep picturing a dumpling, but I know that's wrong. <laughs> oh, delicious. Actually, it was interesting. Mm. I mean, it's it. er is original. I guess it refer er. Right, and that's why I got... That's why I got the U-R. Of course. I should have thought of that. And then Spraka is language. And so it's it literally means a parent language or a proto-language, especially Ooh. one reconstructed for evidence of later languages. So I guess Proto-Indo-European would be one as well. But, I mean, now I'm going to go on with my little <laughs> discourse on this. An English professor complained vehemently to the New York Times about the use of this word? Is it really legitimate for people to have to know a word like Erspraka, which I don't think ever comes up in normal conversation? He said it was too um, technical. And then... He's saying that shouldn't have been in the spelling bee? And shouldn't have been in the spelling bee. And then he said, interestingly enough, which I thought really hit me, was he said, it is um, a sad spectacle to watch eager children reciting correct spelling of words that are ridiculously arcane and blah, 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 purloined from other languages. And then I thought, gee, purloined is an interesting word to use, criticizing using foreign words, isn't it or not? I think it's strange to criticize that at all. That's the history of English. Mm-hmm. No, I thought that was very interesting. But I don't understand his point, because I'm sorry, I'm going to, like, saying that that should be almost all the, I mean, I love watching the spelling bee, even though, like, I feel like an absolute moron when I watch it. And most of the words are obscure. They're, I mean, but I, I would I would defy any, the bulk, I'd say 90% of the words are ones that you don't run across in real life. Yeah, that, yeah, nobody's ever heard of any of those words. So, I mean, it just seems odd that he's picking on that particular one to me. Yeah, I agree with you guys. I just thought it was sort of interesting. However, I would never use Ersprache, but now I know it, I'm always thinking of the word. I think that we're all going to start using <laughs> You know, very casual conversation. <laughs> I was fascinated by speaking of like Ersprockers and the weird words. Thank you. Incidentally, uh, many of which I really enjoyed hearing you saying last time, uh, Fletcher. Well, I did my best. <laughs> but what got me was the number of words that I was not aware are, are from German, whether it was low German, middle German, whatever, and are, and we use all the time, spare rib. Did you guys know that spare rib comes from the German? What? How? Does, isn't that spare rib? It's it, they th- they're not positive, but they think it came from. Ri- I'm going to butcher this. Ribba spare, low German, which meant um, ribba meaning rib and spare meaning spear or spit, and then it got transposed because people thought that the spare meant spare, English spare, so it was an extra rib, a spare rib. Wow. Isn't that odd? Fascinating, yeah. Because, I mean, everything for me is like Blitzkrieg or, you know, um, Weltschmerz, it's like sound German. Spare rib just sounds so innocuous and so English, you know? Wow, that's really interesting. Tell me some more. Actually, I didn't really, I mean, I, this is a little bit different because I'm going 
to throw in Old Norse, but do you know the origin of Spick and Span? No, no, no never. Uh, I've never, uh, never, never known thought that. about it. It's because mm-hmm. I never. I mean, I, I never really thought about it, but it literally means new is a recently made spike or chip of wood, and Spick is nail from Old Norse, and then Spanier is chip. So it literally means new is a is a chip of wood. Because spick is nail. That's weird. I never, I had no idea. No, wow. I didn't either. I mean, this is like entering into our useless knowledge department, but. I love useless knowledge, though. I mean, I really do. Did you guys realize Bratwurst is German? <laughs> <laughs> and hey, Pumpernickel, too. <laughs> I see, I've shocked you. <laughs> well, moving along, we're going to, we also have the other word doppelganger, which I'm sure everyone here knows, or do they? Sure. Yeah. Doppelganger, yeah. Uh, a a double of, of you, basically. Someone who looks exactly like you. Although, although there's more to it than that, right? Oh, definitely. It's, first of all, it's, generally non-biological it's not a twin it's twin is not a doppelganger right doppelganger and it has a slightly it's a twin stranger who's not you and there's usually sometimes it can be done as a neutral way but it's usually there's slightly something well isn't it supposed to be like a ghostly sort of thing like a supernatural isn't it yeah there's a feeling that it's it's not a good thing to have a doppelganger around and this is an interesting word because a few years back it entered onto the Merriam-Webster most looked up word when um, on TV what was it someone said oh oh um, it was uh, the it was about it was a, it was a thing about eat pray love the book that was it and George Stephanopoulos who was on Good Morning America or something said that the author was a doppelganger of the actress who played her. And then there was the whole thing when they had the thing about David Schwimmer. It was remember from Friends a oh, yes. about a year ago. <laughs> they had that picture of somebody stealing beer in Britain and it looked just like him and they kept on saying it was his doppelganger. So I think it got it got really high up there then. And the other interesting thing was I think we had it in the book in one of our books we wrote was that Lincoln apparently saw a doppelganger in his mirror shortly before he was assassinated. And again, from that into the into the American English, it's it, it's come to always have or tends to usually have a very negative connotation to it. Although interestingly enough, we did some research on that, and a lot of times old mirrors will show doubles because of how the reflection works. So probably all Lincoln saw was a uh, was an artifact of his bad mirror. But he apparently believed it really was his doppelganger, and he was worried about it. Oh, so he saw himself, and then he saw a double of himself as well. Correct. Because I thought seeing somebody that looks just like you in the mirror isn't that surprising. (laughs) (laughs) Who's that? (laughs) Who's that gorgeous thing in the mirror there? (laughs) What I thought was interesting is that there actually is an English word, doubleganger, that means exactly the same thing. And I I assume it's just like a direct, you know, it was the English saying doppelganger, but no one uses it. Everybody says doppel. Yeah, I've literally never heard that in my life. A doubleganger? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's like it's unused pretty much, but it, it's a legit word that that I think we should all start using along with the one that I've already forgotten. Earl Spracht, Urspracht, what? Urspracka. Yeah, I'm not doing well, am I? Huh. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to throw out something for you guys now. Again, another. Um, do you guys know the word that is used to refer to doppelganger seeing in psychiatry? I looked it up just now. No. So a word meaning I saw my doppelganger. A word basically used by psych. Apparently, seeing a doppelganger is a. F- it's uncommon, but it's like a a fairly common, uncommon psychiatric phenomenon or neurological phenomenon, often caused when you, uh, 
in real life when you have like a, a some sort of brain uh, pressure or something. The word is hutoscopy. And if you Google, go onto like a medical site, you'll see hutoscopy everywhere, which I had no, I had no idea that word. And then there's another word, autoscopy, which refers to seeing, um, being outside of your body and uh, seeing things. Hutoscopy refers to seeing doubles of yourself. Autoscopy is apparently um, when an individual perceives the surrounding environment from a different perspective, kind of floating around your body. Hutoscopy is seeing yourself, a double of yourself. The experience of oneself is a double. It's interesting. The um, I didn't even know that sort of sort of the thing existed as a as a medical phenomenon but apparently it's fairly common i like doppelganger better though i think it has more of a ring to it i'm going completely off a thing because i just was interested i had found an article by a german guy talking about the one the german words that we use in english that are actually not often used at all in germany and and that just surprised me because number one was stein as in a beer stein they don't usually say stein oh they say moss don't they yeah, they say Moss, they say Humpen or Krug. Wow. But they don't, they say, they don't, he said that we don't really call, because Stein just means rock in German. So they say that, that, that that's a very English thing to use. That's interesting. What else? Yeah. They also said that um, uh, brat, as in bratwurst, they, you wouldn't say, you know how we, a lot of times, I know I, in the States go, you know, you're going to get a, well, I always said brat, but brat, you know, like let's have a, throw a few brats on the grill. They said they would just say use worst. They would never, when you shorten, and they're usually for them, when they shorten a compound noun, they use the last part of it, not the first. That is interesting. This is all making sense now, just thinking about the couple of times I've I've gone to visit my sister uh, in Munich and mm. looking, looking at menus and hearing people talk about food and drink. That's, yeah, that makes sense. I've never heard that, but I've never noticed that I've never heard that. Yeah, no, that's, it's, 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 it was just an odd thing. There's a bunch of others. They say dachshund, I mean, which obviously is German. They usually say dockel instead. Um, you don't usually hear the word dachshund. You don't usually hear blitz like we do, you know, like we say blitzing through that. They say that they don't even use it as a verb in, in German. Blitz is always just a noun. I wonder if they do use, we had another word that we were going to discuss, Bildungsroman. I wonder if they use mm. that in German or not. I mean, it was coined in German. I would German. think they would. Wouldn't they? I would think they would. I, I don't know. I don't know would. German enough to know if they would use it as a normal word or not. I mean, because it came from, from usually, I mean, you think of Goethe, which I know I'm butchering the pronunciation of, and I can never pronounce it right, and I always am tempted to say Goth, which I know is wrong. Yeah, you at least got the er, er to. Thank you. <laughs> My husband would have killed me if I hadn't. <laughs> but, I mean, since that's considered the first Bildungsroman, Bildungsroman, I should just chime in, is a coming-of-age um, novel. It's about a story like education of a young person, like coming to terms with life and, and so forth. Self-education. And it frequently appears in book reviews. I mean, I, I always see it in places like the New Yorker or, or, or New York Review of Books or something. Yeah, it's definitely a critics and a reviewer's uh, term. I heard it a lot when I was a literature major in college, so you, how could you avoid it? But I would think, Russ, since it was, I mean, since it starts with Goethe, how could you not have it being used there? Yeah, I would definitely. Speaking of which, though, I would definitely agree with you. I just looked, I just looked it up right now. A couple of weeks ago, the Times had a Nigerian-American Bildersroman in Mormon County as a, 
a title of a. Uh, I mean, it's used <laughs> everywhere, but I don't think it's a particularly. I mean, it's used all the time. It's a good. It's a good word to know, but I would never use it in a in a sentence. Did first. you guys know that hamster is German? Yes. And did you know that initially it was called a German rat in English? <laughs> a German rat. Oh no, hamster is much Isn't much that better. Horrible? Hamster is much much better. <laughs> oh, the things you could learn. Um, last week we talked about Velschmerz written with a W, pronounced with a V. And we talked about synonyms for it, or th things that seem to be synonyms, such as ennui and angst. And do we know the differences between those three words, amongst those three words, or not? I think, first of all, I've got to say, people tend to use them now um, as, as uh, you know, complete synonyms. Uh, you, people will say, I feel angsty, or I have ennui. But technically, okay, we had said Velschmerz is is world weariness, but it's it's the world, the ideal world is not is you're you're upset because the the ideal world that you can see is not there. Ennui is more of um it's ennui is is, is French obviously it's not German. Ennui is um is is boring it's not bored how do, what do you say you just sort of like you're tired of things i think it's listless uh, listless is a good way of putting it it always felt heavier to me than that is it is it is it really just listless or tired of things if to me it always felt like you know like tired in your soul it's usually though it's just like you're just upset believe it or not it's really because you're bored it's like you're listless or dissatisfied because you're not doing anything okay and you're, or you're not excited about things it's the french word for boredom and i took it pretty much as uh, artistic boredom, actually, or poetic boredom. I think that it's gotten more of the Fletcher meaning, though, because people think of like a, like Sartre and a beret smoking a cigarette at a cafe, you know, being plagued. Oh, that'd be Camus, wouldn't it? But um, I think that I think though that yeah, technically, it's not as heavy as you'd think. And then there's mal de siècle, which I know I just butchered, which is the combination French one, which is like what apathy, world weariness, and pessimism. Boy, all that at once. Goodness, there's Camus for you. <laughs> <laughs> and so, where does angst come in? That's more of a. It's a cousin, I would say, of Weltschmerz, but it's more personal anxiety. It's the. I mean, it's the comes from the word, German word for fear. So it's like personal fear. I don't think it's a broad sense of anguish. It's like a. I'm scared. I have angst personally. Would you agree, Kathy? Actually, I would disagree with you about the person. It's usually just sort of unfocused, sort of you're upset about the human condition or the state of the world in general. It's it's not like it's not like Velchmerz where it's like you're comparing the uh, you're upset because the ideal the ideals are not there. The angst is more like ugh about the world or ugh things are rotten. Hmm. Or so I thought. Now you can correct me, Rob. Well, it's interesting because as Kathy was speaking, I looked up and I have two different sets of definitions. One says personal anxiety. The one that agrees with me is the correct one. Go on. <laughs> and the other seems much more uh, what, what Kathy is saying. So I think what we're getting into here is there's really not too much distinction unless one decides there is. The one key thing that with angst is you don't have hope. Do you? Because anxiety is, is, is you do have hope, right? Angst, it's like you, you don't know if you can ever, if you're ever going to get out of it. Angst is a little heavier of them all, I think. Although if it means showing, if angst refers to, according to the Merriam-Webster, we have a feeling of anxiety, apprehension, or insecurity, which certainly seems to indicate hope would be there. This is the problem with certain ones of the, I mean, these certain words like this, because I think the definitions are very loose. I don't really think we can be definitive here. And I wonder if that's a looseness that has developed over time or if they, 
if they were that loose early on. Because obviously, as we've talked about, especially with German, there's such precision in some of these words. They mean such a very specific thing that that I, I do wonder if that looseness has kind of developed over time. I, I don't know. Miriam here so. goes on to say a strong feeling of being worried or nervous. So I don't know if that... So what, out of I don't all, know the German... it sounds like angst, though, is it... You guys say angst, or I say angst. I, I can't help it. It's the jersey in me. But so angst, to me, sounds like the worst of the group. When you, If you're going to rate them and say, like, from, like, you know, from feeling kind of crummy to feeling, like, really awful, we go... Angst is at the bottom, right? The worst. Yeah, ennui, Weltschmerz, angst. I disagree yeah, with you. Yeah, okay. I think oh. that angst, oh, really? to, angst to me feels like it's a personal anxiety. I have a lot of angst today because of uh, the snow outside that it seems to be snowing. Whereas Weltschmerz, a universal world pain, tomorrow my angst will disappear because I've shoveled. Whereas Weltschmerz, the world still is awful and horrible. Oh, but you see, I don't think that your angst is going to go away. You shovel because you're wrong. <laughs> shoveling has nothing to do with it. It sounds like, and then we, we forgot Liebenschmude, <laughs> how you pronounce it, life tired, tired of life. That was the other German one that, that, that falls into this whole group of like, ugh, things are awful. I love those German words. And then Treppenwitz, I always like too. I, that's my favorite German word. I wish that would come into English. Treppenwitz is it's a staircase joke. And it's the uh, feeling that you have after like you leave. You're going, oh, I should have said that great comeback. Oh, like when George Costanza says, I should have said the jerk store called and they're all out of you. Yes, exactly. Right. But isn't that the same then as the French, which I can't pronounce, Esprit de la Scalaire, or however you pronounce it? Oh, the spirit of the stairs? Yes. Yeah. I think it is. But we don't have that in English. We don't say, we don't say, we, we don't, we don't have that. No, it's Esprit de la Scalier. Yes. I wonder yeah. if the Germans got it from the French now or vice versa. It comes from, um, the first, the Esprit de la Scalier comes from, uh, Diderot in the uh, Paradoxe sur la Comédienne, 1773 is what they're saying. That doesn't mean anything to me. Oh, it comes from, uh, Diderot was the uh, French uh, philosophy. He, they, he did the... Uh, oh, yeah, no, I know that, but I'm saying, what about, does it, what, did they say anything? What, it came from him, but did, did, did oh, the, the para, German the, come uh, before that? He, he actually uh, mentions it to mean what it means. It's an expression, French, significant expression means often what you think we should have said after the fact. I like those words. I like the German way of saying it better, though. This episode of You're Saying It Wrong has been produced by me, Fletcher Powell, help from Beth Golay and Luann Stevens in the studios of KMUW in Wichita, Kansas. If you have a question for Kathy and Ross, you can tweet it at us. We're at YSIWpod or email me at Powell at KMUW.org. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a rating or even a review at Apple Podcasts. The book, You're Saying It Wrong, was published by 10 Speed Press, and you can find that and Kathy and Ross Petrus's newest book, That Doesn't Mean What You Think It Means, at your local independent bookstore. Kathy and Ross have written a lot more. They've got a number of other things either coming out soon or in the works. You can check out their other work through their website, kandrpetrus.com. That's K-A-N-D-R-P-E-T-R-A-S.com. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back in two weeks. Oh, and one more thing. Okay, so yeah, we wandered around a fair bit this episode, which really, if you've been listening at all, you must have expected. And also, that's part of our charm, right? 
That's what I'm telling myself anyway. But something that really caught my attention was when Kathy mentioned that spare rib probably comes from the German. Made me wonder what else comes from other languages that we just don't realize. I mean, most things come from other languages somewhere down the line. That's English. But I'm thinking of stuff that isn't totally obvious. Blitzkrieg, Wiener Schnitzel, sure, we get all that. But what about noodle? Noodle is also German. Spelled differently, but it refers to a long strip of dough. We've talked about ketchup before. That's sort of a transliterated version of a Chinese word. Denim, like what your jeans are made out of, that's French. Means it comes from the French city of Nîmes. De Nîmes. Interestingly, prairie, which seems pretty darn American, is also French. I don't even think the word is any different there. Chowder, that's French, from the word chaudière, meaning cauldron. Not sure how you'd say the French word if you're from New England. Alligator comes from Spanish, el lagarto, which just means lizard. Glitch, which sort of sounds like a made-up sound that is a good description of itself, actually comes from Yiddish or maybe German or maybe both, the word glitchen. And then this last one kind of blows my mind. The word fest, like Oktoberfest or, I don't know, jazz fest, seems like it's a shortened version of the word festival, right? This is weird. The word festival actually comes from Old French and Latin. The word fest comes from German. It means celebration or festival, but it's actually its own word, not just a shortened version of festival. Festival is romantic. Fest is Germanic. You got to figure there's some relation somehow, right? Way back in time, Kathy and Ross could probably dig into that and tell us. But still, they're two different words from two different places. Wild.